0: Hello and welcome to the More From Law podcast. I'm your host, Harry Clark. This week's episode features Jordan Furlong, a leading legal market analyst, author and consultant who forecasts the impact of changing market conditions on lawyers and law firms alike. In this episode, Jordan and I analyse the legal market, where it's gone right, where it's gone wrong and what he hopes it might look like in the near future. Let's get into it. So, hi, John. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Harry, thank
1: you for having me. It's great to be here.
0: No, it's uh, something I've been really, really looking forward to. I know uh, just before we have got on air, we've had a bit of a tech issue ourselves in terms of uh, getting <laughs> this episode to come together. But um, no, I really appreciate it. I'm really looking forward to um, having this conversation about, I guess, the future of the legal profession. And it's a, a topic that you see a lot within, you know, articles and kind of the discussion about the profession recently. But before we dive too much into the topics, um, to those who, um, who may not have met you, what, what was your sort of, background as to why you wanted to work within the profession and your sort of background to date.
1: Oh yeah. Well well it's funny, right? Because I'm I I guess I had this this old fashioned idea and it and it sounds a little weird to to say it that way. When (laughs) I was first considering do I look at law school or what have you, and I had this idea, well, you go to law school if you want to help people, right? Which which is you know and for some people they sort of say that's incredibly lame. Uh, you know, (laughs) why would you say that out loud? Um, but it really was, that was, that was kind of the thought I had, you know, I, I was looking for some way to, to contribute and be useful in a way that was kind of intellectually engaging. And, you know, if it didn't require me to take any biochemistry courses, all the better, because, <laughs> I'm you, you, know, <laughs> you know, liberal arts major straight through. So, uh, so yeah, that, that's kind of what, uh, got me interested in the law and worked briefly, uh, in a large firm, uh, here in Canada. As, as an articling student, um, it, it wasn't for me and I wasn't for them. And, and so shortly after that, I kind of I wandered over and found myself in legal journalism and spent about 15 years in that area, about 10 of them as an editor of uh, various legal newspapers and magazines. And and by the time I had finished that, I had developed a really strong interest in the, in the legal services market, in the environment for the, the purchase and sale of legal services. And in particular, I had an interest in why it was so messed up. <laughs> and, and, and how how, how had we gotten to this point where we have a system that doesn't seem to make anybody, except for a very, very small number of people, happy or fulfilled or, or effective? And, and that's kind of got, so I began writing about that, which led to blogging, which led to people phoning me up and saying, would you come and speak to our law firm retreat or our association annual meeting? Mm. And I would say, sure. And they would say, how much do you charge for that? And I said, ah, turns out this is actually a career. So, <laughs> um, so that's, yeah, that's what I've been doing now for about uh, the last 10, 12 years or so, I'd say, yeah.
0: no, That's, that's fascinating. And that's, um, that's really, really interesting. And as someone who's only really kind of getting into the uh, writing side of things as a bit of a side hobby, it's yet to hit that career vein for me, but I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> and uh, no, that's really fascinating <laughs> to hear your sort of background into it. I guess that leads on really nicely to uh, my first question, really, which was you talked about the legal market being a mess. And um, you know, what, what's your kind of current analysis of, of where the legal profession is at, or or should I say, even how legal services are provided? Because there is a difference between the two, right? Uh,
1: absolutely. Although lawyers don't always appreciate that. One one mm-hmm. of the one of the educational components that that I've been doing for a number of years is is trying to help lawyers understand. And I don't mean this in a a demeaning or patronizing way because I don't expect lawyers would have an awareness beyond this because lawyers, we are trained and educated uh, in a very kind of narrow focused sort of way just to be focused on the business at hand, the job that's got to be done, the client have to meet and so forth. And it's very difficult for lawyers to kind of pull back and see the big picture of, uh, of, of the larger world in which their, their work operates. But, mm-hmm. but, there is, but there is this entire market for legal services. And, and, and part of the problem is that it doesn't really behave like the markets that we encounter in other, in other facets of life. So for me, uh, I, I look at the, at the market for legal services over the last, again, 10, 15 years, and, and, and absolutely I can see some things that have gone that have gotten a lot better right I, I, but by, by, by no means are, are, are we stuck in, in neutral uh, I, I think on the on the demand side of the market you know clients and would-be clients I think there's more knowledge absolutely than there was I think there's a, there's a greater level of sophistication which, which, which is really helped by the fact that people can access each other online they can find, uh, previous examples of people who've gone through a legal situation and so forth. Mm. So there's 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 a there's a greater sense of empowerment, I suppose on 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 the on the demand side, and and on the other aspect, the supply, it's more diversified. It's not just lawyers and law firms anymore, which I think is is really good. Mm. I think engagement's better. I think responsiveness is better, um, and I think we we have seen significant advances in technology, uh, mm. primarily in terms of its capacity. To either do legal work much more uh, efficiently, or to carry out legal tasks all on its own, and to a lesser extent, the actual you know utility and the use of that technology. I I, I think adoption still lags behind capacity, which is mm. you know again not surprising. I mean a lot of markets operate that way. So you know be, before I go into this lengthy list of all the things that are still wrong <laughs> with, <laughs> with the legal market um, and the role the legal profession plays in that. I do think it's fair to, to acknowledge. I think we have made progress and I think we should be proud and happy of what we've done over the last decade. I think it's been significant.
0: Hmm, that's really, really interesting. And so you're grading, I guess, for the, for the legal services provision over the last five <laughs> ten years, a, a, a B plus for effort or
1: something? <laughs> well, well, in terms of things that have gone right, I think I, think a, I, I would say a B, B plus is, is something good. Uh, okay. then, then we go look at all the things that still aren't what they might be. Uh, and and I and I think that is um, that, that that's far from B plus that that's a little further down the alphabet. Um, <laughs> the I mean we we still I think suffer from the fact we have a very limited competitive arena um, uh, in especially in the commercial legal side, uh, large law firms, large corporations, and so forth. Um, I think especially there, uh, if you look at the incumbents, uh, they are they are powerful incumbents and they are change resistant incumbents. And this is not just uh, on the law firm side. You see the same thing amongst uh, corporate counsel, uh, many of whom uh, have come from the law firm side themselves and are very deeply steeped in that culture. And the idea that the default natural uh, decision to make when facing a legal issue is you go find a law firm and you give it to a lawyer. And Mm. you you figure out their hourly rate and you fight over how much of a discount you get. And at the end of the day, you you go ahead. so, so we've got, I think, a lot of room yet to improve on the commercial side, but I think we have even more room in and in a, in a much stronger mandate and impetus to change things on what you would call maybe the consumer or the individual mm-hmm. side. And, and I can identify all sorts of issues there. I think there's a failure to ensure... We have, we have failed generally, and the we here, you can kind of pick your, 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 your pronoun, right? Is it we as a society? Is it we as a legal profession? Is it we as governments and, and, and legislatures and, and, and courts, and I think uh, all of these to a greater or lesser extent. But we haven't ensured nearly enough legal awareness, education, uh, knowledge uh, of people, uh, among people of, of not just not just the way the law works per se, I mean, they have limited interest in that, but helping people to identify, look, a, a particular problem that you are experiencing is legal in nature, there is mm-hmm. a process by which you can seek a resolution and there is a remedy and when you look mm-hmm. at the the studies that have been done over the last five years especially into the whole area of access to justice into unmet legal need you find that about half of the the the, the universe i guess or the total population of legal issues and problems that could be dealt with never arise they, they never get to a lawyer's desk or, or a court docket largely because people don't even recognize them as legal issues and they don't realize that there's a legal remedy to that so um, so i think that has been a massive failure on the part of those of us who are tasked with being the, the guardians and the and the administrators of this legal system um, yeah and again I, I can throw in all sorts of other issues we we don't have we don't have nearly enough standardization of terms and contracts and documents and so forth and processes mm-hmm. supply is vastly over fragmented um, so something which we don't talk about enough, and and again, I I would be I could you know I don't know if I could write a book, but I could read a book on these <laughs> uh, all by themselves, right? But we don't talk about quality, right? Mm-hmm. There's been there, there's been hardly any discussion, definitely among lawyers, of the the quality of legal services, and, and and this and it's and its cousin in the legal profession, the competence and fitness of practitioners. So uh, so yeah, I mean. We, we've made progress, but uh, as, as the old saying goes, we've come a long way, but there is a long way yet to go.
0: That's a great overview, and uh, it's just fascinating to you kind of break it down into all the different stakeholders like that. And it leads me really nicely onto my next point I'm going to raise with you. So there was a tweet which you, uh, uh, I think, retweeted or quote tweeted a little while ago, which was to do with predictions of the future of the profession generally. And uh, as as someone who analyzes the market, um, it was really interesting to hear you say this. You said that when we're talking about thinking about the future of the profession and how we want to get from where we are now to where we think it might be going, uh, we need to avoid the temptation to predict what we want to happen as opposed to what we think will actually happen. So um, I guess two quick questions then is where do you think we're going and where do you hope we're going in terms of the uh, future of the profession?
1: Yeah, well, it's it's it, it's kind of like realistically versus ideally, isn't it? Right. Mm, it's it's yeah. kind of thinking, you know, what 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 could we achieve, and what are we likely to? Um, I, I'm enough of an optimist that I'll start with the ideally, just so we.
0: Okay, can, sure. <laughs> <you> know, let's, <laughs>
1: let, let's let's talk about point B, even if we're not going to reach it, if we're not going to be there anytime soon. Let's talk about it. Mm. Um, I, I w- one thing that I think, and, and I'll kind of preface this this uh, question with this point. Uh, occasionally, you'll see people talk about, oh, well, you know. When, when technology gets sophisticated enough and when the systems get robust enough, we, we won't need lawyers anymore. Mm. And, I, and I am far from a, a fanboy of the legal profession. I'm, I'm far from someone who believes that, oh, without lawyers, there'll be anarchy and whatever. <laughs> All that having been said, I don't see any ideal future uh, for the legal system that, 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 do, that does not involve lawyers, right? Mm. I mean, we, we could be and should be better than we are at what we do Uh, We should be more accessible. We should be more service oriented. There's all sorts of things we could and should be doing better. But we as lawyers are still the best option available to solve legal problems and resolve legal issues. We are decades away from any kind of a technological uh, decades, centuries probably any kind of technology which could effectively replace what lawyers do um you know and, I, and i've talked i've talked to some of the people who are really involved in the advanced machine learning stuff and i've said you know given all the time and all the tools how how far could you go towards quote unquote replacing a lawyer and they say 60 mm-hmm. maybe percent or something beyond that but at a certain point they said why would you write millions and millions of lines of code? Just pick up the phone and call a lawyer. <laughs> <You> know. <So laughs> we we already have the best possible, so far as we know, machine, if you will, or device for actually solving legal issues and so forth. The problem is our deployment of that asset has been very, very poor. So mm. um, what, what would I see as an ideal future? Lawyers would be part of a comprehensive legal information and solution system. Perhaps they are they are among the architects of the system. They are among the administrators and the quality control people, and and so forth. Mm-hmm. But this system itself is extends far beyond lawyers. It extends to uh, para para legal professionals, para professionals and technicians of all kinds. Obviously, technology and and, and systems. And and what would that look like? So the, the two I mean the, the the one two punch that I think if we could ever achieve this, we would. I don't know if I don't know if we would solve access to justice overnight, but we would get a long way there. Uh, an online presence, call it a website if you like, it has up-to-date, accessible information uh, on the most common or the most frequent legal issues that people face. I'm now talking largely in the consumer space here, um, mm-hmm. where I think that the 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 problems are are, are the fiercest. Um, and so, so, and it's accessible, right? You you you, you, you access this page on this website as an ordinary person with uh, ordinary information and so forth and you you put it to them this is what I'm, what i'm facing and the system is able to say again we we can identify a legal aspect is we can do this we can identify uh, a, a remedy or a solution or a path out of it and it looks like this and you can access documents you can you can do it for free or affordably, or you can create interactively the forms that you need and as a mm-hmm. sidebar, one of the many, many failures of our current system is court forms and legal forms. And you, you see more people writing about this now, which is good. Most court and legal forms documentation could not be less people friendly than they are. They are <laughs> intensely, intensely complex and opaque and and it's, it's very difficult to use. So yeah. this kind of a website, it would, it would provide you all of this stuff. So I guess you could say, T- take something like LegalZoom, which is a good strong step in that direction, and amplify it by about ten or fifteen times in terms of its quality and its accessibility and its comprehensiveness and so forth. That'll be on the one hand. Um, a, a problem identification, a remedy direction uh, system. Uh, and and for me, by the way, this is not a private sector thing. I'm a big private sector person. I think the markets, uh, if if allowed to operate properly and with the right kind of regulation, are incredibly effective. This is fundamentally a state or government or societal function f- mm. from, my, from my point of view. Okay, fine. People can disagree. And the other aspect of it will be an online dispute resolution system uh, for as many aspects of litigation as we can possibly work in there. And I won't go into deep detail on this other than to say that the we already have a successful working version of this. It is here in Canada. Yay, wave the flag. Uh, <laughs> it's called the Civil Resolution Tribunal, it is in British Columbia, and I would strongly recommend that your, le- your, your, your listeners who have an interest in this area, go check out the CRT. Uh, it is, it's not a high-tech system. It is not an inc- it's not an AI or nothing like that. It is just an incredibly well-designed, user-focused, people-focused system for identifying, educating, uh, resolving, and bringing people, meeting people where they are and bringing them towards the solutions they need. So anyway, that to me is kind of what idealism would look like, okay. realistically. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the downside. <laughs> the, the, the downside. I, I, I think, uh, and, and again, may, maybe just to, and, and speaking in generalities maybe is the best thing here. Mm. The thing about progress is uh, it is always less exciting and less dramatic than we hope it's going to be. We always kind of say, mm-hmm. oh, where's the big, you know, it's the flying cars problem, right? We have an expectation in our mind, of something which is, uh, which is exciting and extraordinary and so forth, but A, it's probably not very practically accessible, and B, even if you could, I mean, I don't like going out on the streets with cars on, on the road, <laughs> right? The thoughts of flying cars, yeah, man. cars flying around the air, good Lord. So I, I think realistically, uh, I think we will continue to see slow, general progress and fits and starts in the right direction. There'll be some setbacks, there'll be some resistance, there always is, but we, I, I really think that most progress in most areas, it is, it's a slog. It's slow, steady, slogging forward, and it's not very exciting, and sometimes it's not very rewarding, but it's how stuff gets done. And I think mm-hmm. that if, if we can continue to commit ourselves within the profession, and with those of us particularly who are dedicated to m- improving and changing the system, We really have to say, look, this is a roll-up-your-sleeves time, and we have to dig in and do this the hard way. Um, Now, is that to say there won't be a black swan? Of course, there could be uh, a massive technological breakthrough, or there could be a massive societal shift that suddenly makes uh, hopefully progress in the right direction uh, possible. (laughs) Uh, But I would say, and, and I think it's important that because it's easy for people to kind of get discouraged and kind of say, oh, geez, we've been at this for years and it's not getting any better. And I experience that myself from time to time. Mm. But I think it's important that we kind of remember we have made progress, we're continuing to make progress. It, yeah, is it slow going? Is it hard work? But it's worth the candle, it's worth the effort. And I think, I, I really think and I really believe that we are making progress in the right direction. Yeah, that, that's a really
0: interesting breakdown and it's, it's a far cry from what a lot of the stuff you read in terms of you know the robot lawyer and the flying car coming to, st- <laughs> to do your job in the next five years sort of thing. So exactly. um, a very kind of grounded realistic view there I think of, of where we're hopefully going in terms of um, improvements to the profession. This episode of the More from Law podcast is sponsored by the Legists. Looking to find your next role or find the right employee? The Legist full-service online platform can help. By using smart technology to keep the recruitment process as simple and transparent as it can be, you can filter opportunities not just by location and role, but by practice area, PQE level, employee benefits, and many other factors. If you're looking to hire, accompany job listings with pre-interview questions, categorize them effectively, and have a live listing in minutes. You can advertise all your legal vacancies with Legis at www.theliegis.co.uk, also offering free job listings for legal intern, volunteer, and training contract positions. there's so many buzzwords out there and there's such a hype driven kind of analysis behind all of this, all of this stuff. Mm. What is it do you think that's driving that? And, and what are the misconceptions that, that lawyers and I guess non-lawyers alike are, are kind of viewing in terms of the future of, of, of the
1: profession? I, I, I do think that the, the future path towards a better legal profession is in a better legal market and a better legal system. And, and these three, as we mentioned, are, are, are three different uh, relate, related, but different entities. Yeah. But the path towards all three does involve technology. I don't, think there's, I don't think there's any real question about that. But at the same time, I look at technology is a $10 word, as we would say here, a 10 pound word, I guess, for you. It's, it's, it's a $10 <laughs> word for tool, right? That's all it is. Techno- it's a tool. A tool is a thing you pick up that helps you get the job done. Faster, or more effectively, or with less, you know, pain. Uh, you know, uh, d- driving nails into wood is a whole lot easier when you got a hammer, right? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> it's, true. It, it's an, <laughs> yeah, it, it beats the fist really, really well. Um, our, our problem, though, was that we, we as a society, I think, we tend to look upon technology as something which is magical and mysterious and so forth, right? Um, mm. Arthur C. Clarke saying, any sufficiently advanced technology will be indistinguishable from magic, but Mm -hmm. we already kind of view it that way. And there's a number of people out there who say, maybe it was Casey Flaherty, who who said, read any press release about legal technology. Whenever you see the word AI, just put in the word magic, because because it comes to the same thing a lot of the times. Now That's not to say we have have made significant progress from where we started in terms of machine learning, in terms of uh, the application of AI to legal work, but it's very specific. It's very individualized, and, and, it's, and it's very specialized. We are, as I mentioned, decades or centuries away from uh, general artificial intelligence, if we ever get there, if we ever want to. I was watching The Matrix last night, and it's like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> we don't actually want this. You just yeah. have to think about it. For me, I think the, it's just a tool. I think we have to get past the hype and the glamour and the fascination and 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 the desire to say, if only we had the technology, this could be so much simpler and easier and more convenient. And you know what? It, it it's there. There aren't any shortcuts, right? There's no mm-hmm. magic bullet. Uh, you look at anything like a technology that comes your way and say, how does this get the client closer to an outcome they want, right? Mm-hmm. What What is the problem to be solved, and how does this help to solve it? I think mm-hmm. if we asked, posed those two questions of any technology that comes our way, I think we would do ourselves a great service in terms of battening down the hype, in terms of getting us closer to actual progress. Uh, I think, uh, I, I think that's, that's the right way to approach it. It's a tool. It's helpful. It's nice, but it's not, it's not magic, and it's not going to solve everything by itself overnight.
0: Well, I hope you haven't kind of uh, pulled the curtain away from people who are interested in the future of the profession now and think they, they've lost out I, on the glitz and glamour. <laughs> and I hope the passion's well,
1: still there. The, well, the, and, and in fairness, right? I mean, we, the, and there are people, now, I say this as someone who I'm, I'm fairly ambivalent at best about technology, right? It's mm. nice. It's useful. but That's it. There are people who are absolutely invested in it. They love this stuff. And it's great, right? And, and by no means do I want to discourage anybody. From this, uh, you know, because there are people who are who say, you know, no, no, that's that's my space, that's my niche, and I'm going to go in there. And I said, yes, do that, right? Because again, we cannot progress, uh, or sorry, we cannot progress towards a better legal system, market profession without technology. And the more smart minds, and the more and not just not just smart minds, but generous user user centered, people friendly minds that we have working on this, the better, right? So, uh, I, I want to keep encouraging people in that direction. But I also just think that if we tempered our expectations and were more realistic about what technology can do, we would be less likely to be disappointed, to be crestfallen, and then to become cynical. Oh, it's just another hype cycle. It's just this, it's just that. No, it's not, mm-hmm. right? There is, there is real progress being made, but let's be realistic about what we can achieve and when we can achieve it.
0: Mm. No, that's a great analysis. And, and honestly, it echoes some of the similar things that I kind of talk to when students come to me and, and ask for an understanding about legal technology and the sort of the future of the professions that, you know, it's almost better when you're in an interview situation, say, and you're talking about the an interviewer asks you about the future of, of law, that the commerciality and understanding why clients actually want this new technology or, or want at least things to get better and, and what their pain points are is way more effective than having a technological understanding of, say, how a blockchain works, or what machine learning actually is, if you can get behind the kind of business case for it, I'd I'd argue it's much more applicable to, uh, you know, a a more junior uh, lawyer's kind of level of understanding that, you know, rather than someone who's on the back end as a legal architect or, or technician doing the code themselves. I'm sure is the dreaded question within legal tech a lot of the times, which is the infamous should lawyers code. I mean, it fascinates me that oh, yeah. this is talked about so much because, you know, in terms of where the question comes from, I, I can see quite clearly some, comparisons to be made between the way that coders think when they approach a problem and that lawyers think. But I think the real driving force behind this goes back to the kind of hype and the fear that we talked about earlier is that if you don't know how to code in four different languages, for some reason you're gonna be left behind in 30 years time. Mm, yeah. Where do you stand on this kind of side of the debate and, and your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, my, my take on on, on, the, on the general question, should lawyers learn how to code or should law students learn how to code? My mm. response is, yeah, if you like, sure. If it's, mm-hmm. if it's of interest to you, if it seems like something you might like to, to have and to be able to do, absolutely. There's, there's no harm in it. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of good that can come of it. But, but if you're someone who, you know, you're a lawyer or a law student and, and your interests lie in certain areas and they don't really lie in the direction of technology. Uh, and if you say to yourself, oh, man, if I, if I don't learn how to code, I'm going to be left behind. I don't think that's true at all. Um, I, I think that some lawyers will know how to code, and some lawyers won't, and that's fine. That having been said, I do think it would—it would—you don't know, to say "behoove" very often. It would behoove <laughs> uh, uh, lawyers and law students of all kinds to understand code and to—and yeah. to understand what, what what purpose it serves and what it looks like. Like there was a, a few years back, uh, Business Week magazine, which I think is now probably gone, but they—they had—they did an entire issue. Uh, of their magazine devoted to the question of what is code. And, and I got through about a half of it because that's as much stuff as I can actually absorb without <laughs> my eyes glazing over. But that half was really interesting and it helps you kind of understand what it's about. Uh, even if you as a lawyer are not going to code, uh, to write code, to create programs and systems and so forth, you're gonna be working with lawyers who do. And perhaps mm-hmm. you'll be supervising them or you'll be reporting to them or you'll be working with clients who know how to do this stuff. I think for that reason alone, we want to uh, have people appreciate the importance of knowing what it looks like, how it works. So even if you do nothing more than take a half day or a full day uh, coding course on a weekend and, and tap a few lines out, just get the hang of it, that's gonna be helpful. If nothing else, it will give you a degree of empathy and, and understanding towards people who work in this area. Uh, yeah, it's, as other people have said, you know, and I think this is you know quite arguable and quite possible. Law is code, and and I think for that reason, we you know you could if you look at legislation, right? Legislation and, and and statutes and regulations. These are in their own way codes as well. They are uh, they, they are directives and you know instructions as to what should be done in certain cases, uh, but just expressed differently. So. Uh, you know, should you know how laws are drafted? Yeah, I think you should. Should you know how code is done? Yeah, I think it's helpful. Um, but for me, it's just part, it is part of a complete, a comprehensive approach to, uh, to, to legal knowledge and legal skills to be able to have this kind of stuff. So if you never look at a line of code or write a code a day in your career, it's fine, right? It's, you're gonna, there's going to be many, many legal careers that don't need it. But if it's of interest to you, absolutely. Don't don't be discouraged by anybody who, who who tells you differently. You know, you're the more time you spend in the law, the more things you sample. The likelier it is that one of them is going to go ding. It's like oh wow, this actually, this is actually really cool, right? And and part of our problem with our one of the many problems with our legal education system is that uh, we don't expose law students and new lawyers to nearly enough of these different aspects of the law. So if at the worst, it was an interesting thing to spend some time on, and now you've got a better understanding of what some of your colleagues are doing, and at best, hey, this could be your fast track. This could be the thing that really turns your crank and says, this is what I wanna do.
0: When you were talking about coding and kind of understanding the, I guess, thought processes that coders go into, I've I've tried kind of self-teaching Python and kind of looking into it. And the whole time I was kind of thinking, well, I'm never realistically going to reach that point where I can beat a computer science programming student at, at their own game in the same way. I don't think they'd be able to do the same as a lawyer unless they kind of had that, 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 formal education. But you're absolutely right when it comes to understanding how coders view problems, how they kind of break down things and, you know, things like decision trees. And I, I found a lot of parallels between the ways that lawyers will go, okay, well, if this is true in this case, we're going to apply this rule. And if not, we're going to go through this solution. And so that was a, it was a really sort of opening kind of way to, review, I guess, the way that I process legal problems and to make a, I guess a comparison to the way that the others do. So if coding is a kind of a, it depends sort of a answer, what else do you think of the skills that lawyers will actually need regardless of whether they go into the tech side of things or not?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, you know, that's, that, that's an area of extreme of great interest to me um, mm. is figuring out what, what, what are the skills that lawyers require? Because, again, there's, there's, there's such a broad range of legal careers and functions and services and so forth that the list of skills that you could you could use and that would be helpful is, I wouldn't say limitless, but it is, it is broad mm-hmm. and expensive. Mm-hmm. So, what we have to kind of do is focus in. okay, but what are the essentials? What are, what are the skills that if you, if, if you enter the legal profession, if you enter the legal market uh, as a lawyer to say, here I am, I'm a lawyer, I'm here to solve legal problems and provide legal services... And you lack these skills; it's a significant problem. Um, again, that's that's a fairly you know, broad collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, our current legal education system is concerned uh, essentially with one skill, which is thinking like a lawyer, and uh, maybe maybe two skills. Uh, you know, write, writing briefs that a judge will, will like. Uh, <laughs> I think that's pretty much about it. Yeah. And beyond that, a, a, a vast array of knowledge of you know, uh, this is the law of business associations, this is the law of insolvency or what have you, um, where I think in addition to the broad category of how-to skills, right, and that's one thing that our uh, I'm, I'm not here to dump on law schools, I don't think any aspect of our legal development system or lawyer development system deals with this, is the whole question of, yeah, but what do I do in order to accomplish this, right, okay, I have, to, I have I, I'm representing someone in, in a litigation, Figuring out a state, figuring out what the statement of claim might look like, and what the what the case is. Okay, I can get my head around that. But where do I start drafting? And who do I bring it to? And where do I stand up in court? And how do I say this? And da 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 da. And all these kinds of things. The how-to parts of being a lawyer are almost entirely learned on the job, under pressure, in highly uh, adverse circumstances. And almost every lawyer who learns this way treats it as uh, a rite of passage or a horror story or a war story, but most people don't enjoy it, um, and we can, do, we can do better than that. But it, in addition to those skills, the how-to of being a lawyer, I, I, again, I could rattle off empathy, right? Simple human empathy. We don't spend any time developing that, but it's the single most important thing, I think, to being an effective lawyer that the person who brings you their problem, their challenge, their opportunity, whatever it is, they can see that you're listening to them and you are empathizing with their situation and you see where the, and, you, and, and they see where you're coming from and they understand the things that are driving you there. Maybe they're even good at picking out the stuff that you're not saying uh, directly, but they can kind of read between the lines and read your body language and your, and your circumstances and say, it seems to me that part of your issue is also this. I mean, that's where actual engagement comes from. That's when the client ceases to look at the lawyer as just some faceless expert and says, this is someone who actually wants to help me. And and that is the core of any and every single truly successful lawyer-client relationship. It is that level of empathy. And we don't develop that at any stage of the lawyer development process, which is a problem. Um, right. I would like to see a lot more in, to me, that's that, that's number one. And the, the, the number one skill on 1A is negotiation, which mm-hmm. I which if you spent the entire three years of law school teaching people how to negotiate, that in itself would be an improvement in what we do right now. <laughs> everything about you being a lawyer is a negotiation with your client, with the opposing counsel, with the uh, other your your other members of the client's business, with a judge, with a court clerk, with your colleagues, with everybody, uh, is and again negotiation is not a I don't know any law school where it's a uh, it's 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 a, it's a it's an essential mandatory skill.
0: <laughs> it actually wasn't mine, which is really interesting to hear you say that. <laughs> I, yeah. I just wanted to kind of cut in in that there's a there's a. I wouldn't say an emergence. There's a, there's a beginning of a change, I guess, within the UK, at least within law schools and um, you know, the kind of more formal qualifications like the LPC, which is actual law school um, in the, the, there's the beginning of these kind of hints that all those skills you've just talked about are coming through. And uh, at at least at my undergraduate level, that was where um, my university was, York in the north and it was um, the only place in the UK which was kind of trying to do that change and the whole time I was doing these um, advocacy sessions or these like multi-party negotiations I was just thinking wow this is great I'm kind of learning what the law is but also how to actually apply it and you know how to actually relate it to a client you know I think it's so easy to take that kind of understanding for granted when I start later law schools and hopefully eventually enter practice and that you know, I was kind of thinking this. This stuff needs to be standardised, and I think you're starting to see that with things like sort of pro bono initiatives and, um, you know, that kind of push within law schools now. But I, I guess, what's your ideal solution to that? What would what would it genuinely look like in in
1: your view? A uh, completely revised lorry development system would look extremely different from what we've got right now, mm. and um, you know, and I, and actually, I wrote a, a fairly extensive uh, a, a post about it because, t- to my mind, it is. It is fundamentally a regulatory role. I'm, I'm actually working with a couple of regulators here in Canada, and mm. some of the things we're looking at is uh, lawyer competence, both at the start of your career. What, 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 you know, in in, in the um, in the great words of Jason Burnwell from Microsoft, what does a minimum viable lawyer look like, you know? Mm. Um, and and what does this lawyer, uh, what does this lawyer bring with her or him into into the job? Um, and then the, the larger questions of, okay, and as, the, as your career, career goes on, does you, do, your, do the expectations of your competence change? And I think the answer is yes. And then how do we monitor that and manage that and, and so forth? So I think a, a reformed lawyer development system starts with a regulatory recognition that this is our fundamental foundational job is to ensure the highest uh, feasible quality of uh of the providers of legal services now if the regulator is only concerned with lawyers and i think that certain regulators are going to be concerned just with lawyers not with any other affiliated legal service professionals that's Mm -hmm. fine but then your job is you got to make sure that these lawyers are as good as they can feasibly be i don't say possibly because we don't live in a possible world we live in a feasible one in terms of like again those core those core skills and, and they include like, you know, empathy and, uh, and negotiation, but they include customer service and process mm-hmm. improvement and human-centered design and cultural competency and financial literacy and knowledge management. And I could go on about all these different aspects of, of it. And then having decided what you think these fundamental skills and requirements are, then you don't go to the law schools and say, would you please teach these things instead? Because A, the law schools won't. B, the mm-hmm. law schools can't. They're not set up to do that. What you do instead is you say, we require people coming into this profession to re- have this knowledge, these level of skills, right? And knowledge, skills, and character. Right? I think that's the, those, that's the three essential elements of an effective lawyer. Uh, what you know, what you know how to do, and what kind of person you are in terms of your integrity, in terms of your trustworthiness, and so forth. And we open the door to any institution, public sector, private sector or not, right, we don't care. If you can develop this knowledge, skills, and character in people and bring them to us, we will accredit you as an educator for our purposes. And the flip side of that, and law school, Uh, there if you cannot produce these kinds of people you go ahead you keep educating people however you want but your degree is not going to qualify someone for coming into this profession that would be a radical catastrophic radical departure from where we are now but i think it will be a giant step in the right direction for a better lawyer development system
0: that's really fascinating in all honesty i think i could chat with you for hours about (laughs) where we're going but um in the interest of time where can people go to learn more about you and to kind of get all more of your content and to uh, hear more of your thoughts on the future of the profession?
1: The, uh, the easiest place is online, obviously, law21.ca. Uh, again, wave the Canada flag is, is where you can find me online. I'm on Twitter uh, more often than I should be. so you can you can find me there. Uh, I don't think' it's, I don't think there's anything the Jordan Furlongs out there on Twitter. So if you search for that, you'll probably find me. Uh, and I write I write stuff and I write uh, books when I can, but more likely I write blog posts and papers uh, and so forth. And if any of what I've said is of interest, uh, check me check me out on Twitter or drop in to see the website. you will find more of this stuff. Always happy to chat with someone who's got questions about. You know what should I do with the law and where are we going to go and so forth um it's it's a it is a it is a tremendously exciting time with huge potential this really is the knee of the curve this is the this is the the inclination point I think for the profession the five or ten years we've just had the five Mm -hmm. or ten years to come and I think now is a tremendous time for lawyers and law students to lean into this curve and say let's make this all work better
0: Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, John. And uh, it was a pleasure to uh, learn from you as always. So thanks so much. Thank you, Harry. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Morphin Law Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode and want to support the show, please share it with your network and leave a review on the iTunes Store. It's really appreciated. If you want to stay up to date on the show, follow and subscribe to the Morphin Law Podcast on your podcast platform of choice, or follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at the profile Harry Clark Law. See you in the next episode.